Hi, I'm Mara Webster with In Creative Company, and today we're joined by the wonderful Helena Rain to talk all about her movie Bodies, Body, Bodies, which she directed. And I wanted to start by talking about the early development part of this process for you when you came on board, because there was already a script in place, but then you and Sarah Delappy, who's who's also a writer on the project, really kind of finessed it and gave it the voice that it's ended up having in terms of a lot of the characters, um, a lot of the dialogue that we see. And so I was really interested when you first were working with that script, what were some of the fundamental things? things that you really wanted to keep hold of, like the the central game of Bodies, 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 that's kind of like Mafia or Werewolf. And then where did you see this real opportunity to bring your voice and Sarah's voices into the project and to create the version that we've ultimately ended up seeing? I think what was really important to me and Sarah that, um, I, I don't know if, can we spoil things? Do you want to spoil things or not yet? Like, do you want to, do you want we, me to- We can spoil things. I think we, we said it out loud, so we're good. <laughs> Okay, great. So, so the ending, uh, and you've seen it, of course, uh, uh, super important to me. So I think for me, I come from, I used to be a stage actress. I made one film that was pretty dark, uh, sexual thriller. So I'm very interested in human behavior and not so much like a monster under the bed or a haunted house or a ghost or a serial killer, which can be great, great things. And, and wonderful movies have, have been made about it. But I thought it would be way more fun and interesting to just examine human nature and group behavior and group pressure. And then when we came up with the no killer and, and then and then the, 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 that everything has been based on sort of an accident that that comes out of, let's say, male, toxic, vain, competitive behavior. Right. Because in the end, he's the, the, the one male character is. Is, is trying to imitate the other character. Uh, that was a big key to me into the film. And then I also think um, I come from the theater. So I, I really took all of those references with me going into this project. And, and that's also how I, I, I said to A24 that I wanted to handle it. Like, you know, Lord of the Flies more than anything meets Mean Girls. And I think, you know, Sarah Delap being a playwright and she wrote a genius play called The Wolves. I think we really fell in love with each other. And I think that created then this script, this wild, crazy genre bending, whatever it is thing. Um, and, and I just think she's a genius with language. So I feel that, you know, it being about group behavior and the big question is the killer outside of you or is it inside of you? You know, and the true horror is our own reaction to each other then and then and not a ghost or a monster or a bad guy. And I love that, that you're bringing up your theater background there, because I feel like that's also so important in terms of, of the way that you've made this film and particularly in working with the cast where you really didn't want them to be thinking about where the camera was going to be capturing their performance. It's really about everybody in the room giving their performance to the entire space. And, um, you know, it also sounds like that's how as an actor you work best when you really just don't, you should kind of shed that awareness. So what were a lot of the other aspects of the environment that you wanted to create to really have them just focusing on their performances, focusing on their characters and not having to think about those external elements as well. Yeah, I think that it really helped us that uh, the story takes place in one location. So we basically filmed everything in one house. So that already creates this sort of atmosphere that you're really truly there and you're really experiencing all those weeks that you're shooting with each other. You're actually in that house under pressure, sort of the same way that the characters are. So that is already really helpful. And then, like you said, I think me coming from the theater and then every now and then I, I was allowed to um, do a film uh, and then I went to a film set. And I was always like, oh, my God, this is so technical. You know, it's really stop and go. And you do a very little bit of a scene and everything stops. And of course, that's part of, especially when you're doing a big movie, that's just the reality. But with this, I could like really create uh, a setting in which we could actually do those very long takes. And it's just helpful because you get more in touch with your emotions and things start to flow way better. 
And especially if you want to portray this friend group that you actually believe that they have, you know, their whole own form of communication and they, like, we really wanted that to feel authentic. So I think these long takes really help with that and make them feel liberated and free and not so much aware of, oh my God, I need to do this in the right way. They were much more together creating the story and reacting on each other instead of like being totally preoccupied with their own ego or vanity or everything else that you are as an actor, you know, because you become so conscious of yourself. So lifting that away, taking that a little bit away from them, I think feels very liberating. And I'm in essence talking about my, my own experience as an actor, you know, and not so much that I think they are vain or anything, but I thought when I was acting, always like, oh, how, what do I look? You know, it, what is my backstory? Am I going to do this right? And then when people told me, no, acting is reacting that kind of made me so relaxed, you know, and I was more busy with the other person, more occupied with the other person, my scene partner than with myself. And in working with your cinematographer on the film, Jasper Wolf, the, the two of you spent a couple of weeks in the location, in the house that the film is, is shot in, kind of really going through a lot of the scenes with you acting out a lot of the scenes with stand-ins. Um, what were some of the, the the visual aspects that you really discovered during that workshop time that the two of you had together and really just doing a play-by-play? And how did that help you in terms of, of coming up with a very specific shot list, but also a very loose shot list at the same time for like once the cast came in and having that freedom of moving the camera around where their performances were leading just as much. I think I always felt it very, a little bit threatening when I was on a set uh, during my acting career and I could hear the discussion between the director and the DP, you know, and they were still sort of plotting, even when they were prepared to just feel their insecurity or their disagreement on certain. So I just feel that when a DP and a director are in sync and being in sync sounds so like, oh, in sync, you know, it's like a magical thing that needs to happen. But if you prepare very well, you can do all of that before the actors come in. So we did the same with in sync. We went into that prison and now we did it. We went into this house and I think it just is so helpful to, to make little, you know, you, you don't really shoot the scene, of course, but you shoot sort of vaguely what you want and you try to stuff out. You're like, okay, what if all the characters would be around this table or what would it work if... Da, da, da? And then, of course, once they come in, everything changes because they will bring their whole uh, own energy, their own world, their own ideas. But because you have sort of a starting point, it's way, everything goes way faster. And they will feel that. They will feel the safety of us knowing, having a starting point, us having some ideas, us really thinking like this is our vision. And then they feel very free and and, and open to, to bring up their own ideas. And so we basically just went through the whole film and we... In some rooms, we just sat and talked and made little drawings. In other rooms, I like played out everything. And I was like, okay, what if this character is there? I'm a very like uh, physical actress myself. So I love to feel it and really lay on the floor. And also I want to make sure that I'm not asking things of them that are painful or hurt. You know what I mean? Like physically that that it's even possible because I've been in positions where directors ask me things and I'm like, okay, you come over here. You That's insane what you're asking me. Like, are you crazy? Like, I think it helps so much that because you're asking a lot, you know, you're literally saying to people, crawl on your knees, scream, cry with real tears, kiss him with the tongue. Like, there's so many things that you're asking of them. And I feel that you really need to experience yourself a little bit of what you're, you know, it's not just sitting in a chair and, and, and having people like just, you know, portray everything that's in your mind. So it really helps me to do that with him. And then I just feel we when we come to set and they are there or to the rehearsals with them, we come in a very calm and peaceful way and they can be the ones who have all the questions and are hungry. And I think that just is a really good dynamic. 
I also love that directorially it's it's a lot of handheld but feels very intentional in terms of what the handheld motion's doing and and the pacing and the rhythm and the movement really shifts according to the level of tension that you're building and where the story is um and so how did you and Jasper really figure out a lot of those details and elements and when did you realize that handheld was going to be such a vital tool to how you were telling the story Oh, I love all your questions. You're so well prepared. Um, yeah, so I think um, me and Jasper, what I really like is my producer in Holland, Frans van Gestel, who did my film Instinct with me, he advised me for my first film, he said, like, why don't you involve some of the heads of departments even before you finish the script, you know, so that you can always, even like a sound designer, you can already like incorporate certain things in the script that you can later do with the sound or whatever. And of course, with this, that wasn't, fully possible because here I can call up everyone as my own country is so small. Now I go to this big country, but with the Osprey, I could do that. So even in Amsterdam, when I was uh, starting to write the script with Sarah, we were Zooming all the time, but I, Jasper was already involved. So for instance, the original um, film took place in the snow and I didn't like that. I wanted it to be a hurricane because I thought a hurricane is such a metaphor for sexuality and chaos and, and just something that would overwhelm them completely, like, you know, like climate change and the whole thing. And they, of course, thinking these rich kids, they think like, you know, they can provoke the weather because they're like, is that all you got, motherfucker? You know, so we introduced this storm and then immediately I sit down with Jasper, okay, what does that mean? Um, you know, what does that mean for the for, for, for the lighting plan? And, and then I was like, what if it's a hurricane party? Because I read in the... American newspaper that that was an American thing that that you know they actually have hurricane parties where they know it's coming but they lock themselves up in a house with lots of booze and fun and I was like oh my god that will give us the escape we, we they have some flashlights they have some because otherwise we, you know we basically only have the iPhone lights so that is how I already start to design with him the lighting plan and I think for this film knowing that it's going to be one location knowing that it's going to be extremely language heavy because Sarah the lab is a playwright I come from the theater all we know is language and knowing at the same time that we have to make a film that can make its money back so it should be interesting for a big audience we felt it was so important to make the film very visual sensual sexual that you almost feel that you're in the middle with this friend group and that you're seduced by them, you know? So, and that is where the handheld style really works because that's what brings you closer to the characters, makes you feel that you're part of them. And it makes that very animalistic. You can almost feel like the, the skin, their pores, you know, you see every little detail, the little soft hair on their cheek. Like, and I, I think for me, that was incredibly important because otherwise it has a danger of becoming stiff, forced, or too theatrical, you know? And I, I wanted to stay away from that, knowing my own weakness, being the theater and Sarah the Lab coming from that. I, that. I said, Jasper, you really have to help me to make it visually very sensuous and sensual. And, you know, so that's why we, we chose for that style. And with the lighting as well, I love the fact that that it really is that that pitch black with just the light of cell phones. There's not that cheating of of bringing in external soft lights with mysterious sources that you so often see. Did you do any sort of workshopping or testing with the cast and really working with them and figuring out how they needed to light each other? Because it's so impressive when you look at all the group scenes and how many characters you have, and yet you can really kind of like see everything in their performances. But it's also such a great way to really choose exactly where the focal point of the frame for the audience is going to be at any moment as well. Oh yeah. So yeah, I love your questions. Um, yeah. So we did, we did do, so what we, we limited ourselves to the, the iPhone lights, the headlight, of course, we thought was very helpful. And then creating around Rachel Sennett, who plays Alice, 
these neon like necklaces that she wears. So she becomes like a lighthouse. I always uh, called her. So she would be lighting others in that way. And then they would have their flashlights so they could position them in certain ways. And we also had, um, we found out that there was a thing in, in, in lots of these huge mansions that you have upstate or wherever in rural America, and it's called emergency lighting. You know, so 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 we did we did use some of that here and there strips that that you can like stickers that they have on their walls or in there. And then I also planted, but that I heard lately that that has confused some people. Some emergency light, you know, exit emergency exit signs. I said those are great sources of lighting because they work on batteries and they can be red or green and give this spooky light. So those were the sources we had. But yes, for the actors, it was incredibly hard because first of all, they're all young, they're incredibly talented, but they're young, and then. They're in these scenes with six other people, five other people. You know, it's a lot. And they have to learn, you know, remember their lines and remember their blocking and light each other. We would be like, no, lift your head because you need to, you know, light Amanda. Otherwise, we can't see her. So, of course, that was a lot for them. But they started to really like it. And during the we did camera tests so we could already see how would that work. And and then we saw that back in the cinema. So we checked, like, how does it feel on a big screen? How much do we need? But of course, it was a constant, like I laid awake at night thinking, oh, my God, what if everything is just too dark? What if the audience is just going to be bored because they can't, you know what I mean? They can't really connect because it's too dark. But I think as often in creative um, endeavors, your limitation becomes your strength, you know, and, and this became for them also, it, it, it forced them to be really open to each other, to really like, you know, and really take care of each other. And that is, of course, not what the characters do. <laughs> Not what the actors did have to do to make those group scenes work. So yeah, and you you were touching upon sound design before as well, and obviously with with the setting and the fact that it is a hurricane party and there is inclement weather that comes in. Um, how did you approach the sound design of that? Because it's not something where there's just kind of very you know narratively timed beats of thunder. There really are moments where the rain is absolutely plummeting down. And because of that, we're almost kind of leaning in to try and hear what the characters are saying a little bit more if they're outside. So it's it's very hyper-realistic in terms of, of the sound design and the way that you've added it with the dialogue and with a lot of the other sound effects. Yeah, I think the sound design was very challenging as well and so important because, of course, if the storm, if, if you don't believe the storm and the hurricane, the film is not going to work because you're like, why don't they just start rock walking? And because it is not a high budget film, it's a low budget film. We did not have all the machines and all the, you know what I mean? Like all the little toys to to actually create like a, a, a hurricane. We did we we did do our best and I think we, we came pretty far, but the sound had to do a lot, a big part of it. And, and so... Um, I was really happy to work with amazing people. And also my, my visual editors were there during this post process, but it was very intense because I really felt so passionate about how this, you know, sort of was going to make the whole film. And how I approach it for myself is that I don't see sound as something hyper-realistic, even though I love realistic acting style. Like if you cry, I really want to see tears. You know, that's my whole, like, I can't deal with, fake acting or or, or or trying to be funny, but not really being funny. So I think honestly, and that is really important. But with the sound, I really wanted to try to do it abstract. So even in some rooms, you will hear very soft rain and then she goes into another room, suddenly it's really loud. And then they go into the basketball court and you hear nothing as if that's like a basement where, you know what I mean? So we really thought of those rooms as mental spaces more than anything else. Of course, it has to make a little sense realistically, but to me, it's way more like an LSD trip, so to say, not that I ever took LSD, but like that it is like an abstract mental trip because the moment, from the moment the Wi-Fi goes out 
the demons come in. You know, that's how if you if you now break this phone, I'm gonna be in a psychosis. I'm gonna be how can people reach me? Where am I? What am I gonna do? And so that feeling of like the Wi-Fi goes out, we all go nuts. So that's what I wanted to create. And so the sound had to like for me represent their mental state, which they are falling apart. You know what I mean? And so the sound designer in the beginning was a little bit like, what do you want me to do? But I said, we just need to take the freedom and have the balls to really play with that. And then we can always take it back. But at the same time, of course, we had these heavy language scenes, right? Where you want to hear every little nuance. And for instance, the big scene where the light is still on and Pete Davidson talks about gaslighting and Craig pretends to be dead and that huge scene I was so worried because I wanted to have rain in the background, but very soft. But of course, rain for dialogue. Well, anyway, there was a big struggle. And once one of my editors, he came to me and he said, listen, you have to watch Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross again, which is a very old film about this real estate, uh, of great film, by the way, big, big tip for everyone. And they have rain constantly. And when I saw that and I saw that it didn't disturb me and that is also based on a play, so there was lots of language. I thought, okay, I can get away with rain. So my main fear was that rain and storm would harm the acting, you know, and would harm the dialogue, but it didn't. And so it was a struggle, but we got there and I'm very, very proud of the sound design and of the whole team that did that. And there's also such great use of music throughout the film and, and you really welcomed the cast into that part of the process and having them give you a lot of music and playlists and suggestions for a lot of the needle drops. And so how did you then take that and, and kind of interlace that with, with the music composition that Disaster Piece did for you for the film? I think I what I I told everyone who worked on this film, I said, even though I come from high-end theater, blah, 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 high culture, high, high, whatever, this film, I said, needs for everyone bring you the trashy, the trashy side of yourself to the surface. So even Disaster Piece was this huge artist. I really asked him, I said, go into TikTok, you know, really get into the sort of techie, the songs that make you feel like you're in a music video and think about those. And I, we also referenced a lot, uh, Run Lola Run, which is an older German movie in which a girl basically runs. It's a great film, by the way, but it has this clubby soundtrack where she just goes and goes and goes and she doesn't have time to reflect. And that whole atmosphere I wanted for my character. So there were two layers. One, I really wanted... The, the audience to feel the world of this generation and who better than this generation to tell me what are they listening to or what, what are the songs that they that are maybe from their childhood that they like or you know and so they gave me their playlist and then with disaster piece we sort of tried to make a score that was never reflective so that never leaned back or was melancholic or looking back on anything it was just forward 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 pushing 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 witnessing 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 and it never really got into their emotions because the film is all also a very weird melodrama. You know, like Mean Girls is also a melodrama for me. And this as well, it's like, oh, and then my podcast and you don't know and you don't and I don't like you. Blah, blah. And so whenever you're going to put too heavy music under that, you're going to be like, oh, please. You know, so it really needs this sort of dry witnessing music. And he he really got that. And he did such an amazing job by taking all of that, but distorting it into something very artistic, artistic and unique. And then uh, Daddy as Fuck is, of course, that came from the girls, you know? I mean, I, I, I didn't even know that song existed. 212, the only song that I'm very proud that I came up with 
<laughs> is Bored in the House because that is a song I loved so much. And I just thought it would be the greatest soundtrack to the reveal, you know, and to 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 Pete's death in the end. Yeah. And thematically, one of the film things that the film does so well as well is is creating this real balance where, like you said, there is that incredible forward motion throughout. It's not them pausing to be self-reflective. There's a lot of tension and suspense building. And at the same time, there's comedic elements as well. And so what were some of the challenges that came in particular with really balancing that idea of tension and comedy where you really want to think about, okay, are we tensing the audience up a little bit here or are we allowing them to take a little breath in and have a little relief? Yeah, that was that was very challenging. I think the whole tone um, of the script that we were creating, always we were so aware of the difficulty of it because it wasn't very clear what genre is it, is it a horror, is it a comedy, is it, you know, it, 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 because I think, and now I'm very proud of it, that it has its own genre. But of course, when we were creating it, we were like, oh my God, are the actors going to understand what we want? You know, the irony of it all, the very, the, the, we always call them intellectual bullies, you know, where they have this huge vocabulary, but at the same time, they sometimes be very childish and egotistical and narcissistic. But I think, yeah, the, the main challenge of that is that the minute you make a joke, the tension goes out the window. And I just feel that with all of those things, as long as you bring awareness to it and you constantly, I was constantly thinking in with my two brain parts. One of them was with the acting style that I thought needs to be sensuous and visceral and animalistic and all those things I always say, you know, like organic and real and raw. So that was one thing. And Casavetti's like, which is a great director if you want to explore his films, that look almost completely improvised. You know, that was the style I was looking for. And then on the other hand, I was like Agatha Christie herself, Miss Marple, really trying to constantly be aware of who is suspecting who, when, how are we going to do this whole whodunit thing? When do you think what as an audience member? Um, so yeah, there were these two halves of, of my brain. And of course, not only me, but the whole team that was focused on that um, in order to, 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 to get to, to, to the result that it now has. Yeah. And one of the spaces where the comedy does come in as well is in some of the stunt work. And so I wanted to ask about working with your stunt coordinator on the film and really making it something where it's not that all of a sudden these girls have these really high class fight skills, but it's like a very, very kind of like messy, scrappy thing that's just coming from like pure panic and pure emotion, like especially in the scene towards the end of the film where there's that really big tussle with the gun. Um, that was one of the great moments that really did create that exact balance of it's, it's a very tense scene but at the same time it's also just really funny yeah exactly so I think me coming from so my director um who I always work with almost my whole life is called Ivo van Hoven he's a he also great to look up he, he they perform also in New York uh the theater company that I was part of and his he his style is extremely physical so there's a lot of sexuality on stage and a lot of fights on stage and and he hated it if it looks fake you know so I'm just raised in that tradition where you really want to think oh my god they're actually fighting you know like oh no the audience can really get disturbed by our performance but of course nobody's getting hurt so in the end it's all fake but so I asked my stunt coordinator for, in the, the first conversation I had with him I told him this you know I said listen this is a tradition that I that I that I come from and this is what I want to do and especially with this film that is to me, a dark comedy, it needs to be, you know, it needs to be real. And a, and as you said, like a real fight is never like, bah, bah, the real fight is like, eh, and it's like, you know, and it's lame and dumb. And, and then all of a sudden, you know, before you know, it's something really scary happens. Like I've witnessed real fights in the streets and it always, it, it has a very weird stop and go situation. You know, it's never smooth and beautiful. And 
And so I wanted that kind of um, fights because the movie is so much like Lord of the Flies, like group behavior. The, the moment they throw B out, you know, that's when the girls all turn on B. It's almost something that you're like, how, how are we ever going to pull that off in a believable way? But these things just happen. They just, before you know it, oh my God, did we just shut her? Did we just throw her out? You know, you're almost laughing and then you're like, oh my God, she's really outside. She's going to die. You know what I mean? Like, that's how it goes. It's, and I think that it was very important to me to, to, to tell my stunt team that that was the style I was looking for. And he completely embraced that. He loved it also. Um, he just was, of course, uh, uh, concerned with their safety because that is a style that you need to really, really make sure that they're safe because you're going to ask for things that are not smooth and big gestures. But the girls loved it as well. And, you know, the ritual, there's a ritual in the film with the slapping, which is also very important to me, of course, that that looks real and not fake. But yeah, I think we we, we did an amazing job and especially the actors and the stunt team were just... And then Pete in the very end when we ask him to, you know, if we can spoil... Uh, with the sword to try to open a bottle of champagne and then in the end killing himself. That was such a, a difficult thing to pull off, uh, the choreography of that. And, and I think the even the special effects team was involved. Everyone was involved in that moment. <laughs> and I'm really proud of the, I'm proud of the rough, the messiness of all of the physical uh, uh, activities in the film, whether it's sexual, whether it's violence, whether, I love the messiness, the realness, the clumsiness, the, I love it. And I love the fact that it's it's very realistic in terms of, of the way that the characters respond to situations as well. So if you look at B in that moment, there's literally dead bodies around her and she's still like, okay, but I need to see these text messages on this phone. And that's the most important thing to me, which is her way of, of kind of dealing with the process processing of trauma that's just happened um what was where was the genesis of, of that idea because it's so brilliant because it is so realistic in the way that we completely just shut off what's happening in front of us and focus on something else I do I love I really like everything you bring up because to me so that whole little separate storyline begins to me in the beginning of the film and you know we we meet B and Sophie and they're they're have French kissing in a beautiful way and then Sophie says, I love you. And then, boom, we got to them both being on their phone, which is so relatable because we all, we all say, I love you so much. Okay, wait a minute. I have a text. See you later. You know, it's just like so horrible. And then, of course, the film ending with I have reception. So that is sort of like the main theme for me in a way. And that fight that they have, the really big end fight in the mud, you know, I always say like they need to look like uh, lizards almost that, you know, crawl uh, through through the, the desert. But they are, of course, fighting. Uh, they have a, leaf, a, a, a murderous weapon in their hand, a pistol. But it's not about that at all. It's only about the phone. And what I find so ironic about that, and then now I'm going to tell you something about myself. I think the phone has not only influenced us in so many different ways, but also relationships, you know, jealousy. I'm a very jealous person in the sense that in romantic love, I'm a Scorpio. I cannot stand my man being... Nobody can come around him. Like I'm, I'm like totally insane. So phone is this like land field of landmines full of, you know, possible like, you know, competition. And so I have been in situations where, you know, anything has to uh, go. All I want is to, to, to look at his phone and, and know. And I think, I, I just think that's so relatable. The, the the green monster of jealousy in Othello, Shakespeare has written a wonderful play about it, but it's still very relevant. So I thought it was just really darkly funny that even though they they have a gun and they should be fighting about the gun, they're fighting on about the phone, you know, as, you know, possible jealousy, possible as a device that could contain secrets. And I've heard you mention that that, that kind of 
big climactic scene in the lead up towards the end that that's about 15 pages was one of the parts of the movie that you were most apprehensive about how you were going to pull it off logistically and so how did you approach that and you know especially with the fact that you were so meticulous with your preparation and you really kind of put a lot of time into that did that really help you kind of build a foundation to know that you were going to be able to pull off a scene like that especially given that it's such a long scene yes absolutely I I feel that um the scene, the big, the 83, number 83, that nobody knows what that means, but I keep repeating it. 83, <laughs> because it's so ingrained in my brain because I was so nervous about it. But I think uh, step one, uh, uh, really reading it and, and analyzing it with my DP 600 times with the whole team, with Sarah, but also the actors were the same. They were focused on that like that. They, 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 because Sarah and I had different versions of those scenes and they would go into the, the first version and they would say, no, but you got rid of this line and can we please put that back in? So the actresses actually made it longer because I thought at a certain point, I was like, we need to cut because it's too long. It's just, you could do that in a theater. You can't do that in a film. But the actresses were totally like, no, 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 you, you can't cut that line. And I, and I was so, at that point, so in love with them. And they felt like my real daughter. So I was like, okay. And so this scene just became longer and longer instead of shorter and shorter over the course of the weeks that we were shooting other things because we sort of saved it for the last um, period of time. And they, what they did, and I asked them, of course, to do that. I, every, I said, every time you have an hour off, every time you're waiting, every time you're having lunch, do that scene. Do that scene, eat that scene, dream that scene, sleep that scene, do that scene constantly. Don't put any emotion in it. Just do just know the music of the scene. And they did that. And so once the day came, we were so prepared. And also just taking the time. So really saying to my team, and this is big, you know, I would advise any young filmmaker to do that. Say, listen, this scene, I need some time. You know, because the time will give you the confidence. The time will give you the opportunity to make mistakes. Or And in this in this uh, particular case, it, it went really well, but it could have gone wrong, you know. And then the fact that you have time will make you so much more peaceful. And then, of course, you're, we did cut it up in sections because it was just too... We did do big run-throughs and then we would say, okay, let's do the first bit and then up until that moment and then do that bit. And that gave us a little more oversight. Um, and then give them room to improvise. You know, I, I really gave them specific moments where I said, okay, and now you can do a take where you're completely free and completely liberated from any rules or anything on the page. And so, yeah, it, it really works. And also doing a lot of coverage so that you can actually in the edit really compose it, you know, and, and, and have the jokes land and at the same time have this tension and the tragedy there as well. So, yeah, but I'm incredibly proud of the actors. That is really on the shoulders of the actors that scene it's completely they're all amazing in it and it, it still makes me laugh when I think about it <laughs> yeah that's so great well it's it's such a fantastic film and I really love so many of the choices that you've made directorially and the way that you've told this story so congratulations on everything and thank you so much well uh, this was the most incredible interview you are an insanely good person to ask me all these questions I, I I'm really in awe of you thank you so much for being so well prepared and interested and just so smart I'm really impressed. Thank you.